truer song couldn't be sung. That is not an act of ordinary worship. That's something very special. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can connect right outside. You can put on your you can put it on your um, on your card, or you can also sign up directly outside. There's also information for parents who are interested with their children and their young people. You can take advantage of that as well. Well, good morning, guys. I'm Mike Conway. I'm the pastor here at City on a Hill Church, and man, we are so glad that you elected to come with and hang out with us this morning. And uh, we're looking forward to all that God has for all the Easter activities. Uh, we're looking forward to a great, great Easter weekend. But right now, we've got business to attend to, amen? We have been in a series called Parables, and it's an earthly story with a spiritual truth. And what I have found is there has been this incredible theme throughout uh, these stories. And remember, these are all the teachings of Jesus. So it's not like we selected. The, these are the teachings that Jesus thought were the most important things that he would leave for you and me. And so as we come to this, this parable today, we come to uh, another very unique parable, and Jesus has this major theme going through of belief and understanding and, and real-life faith. And so Jesus has been kind of challenging people uh, in ways that they didn't like to be challenged. And so I'm going to encourage you today, as we're, as we're going through this, if you feel you're challenged in a specific way, just sit in the hot seat for a minute or two and ask yourself a couple questions like, why do I feel that way? Why do I feel? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Is it the Holy Spirit? And if it's the Holy Spirit, then you'll understand conviction because conviction, it allows us to see and know that there's hope and help. If it's the enemy of your soul, then it's condemnation and it's saying there's no help and no hope for you. And so it's important for you to understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit is, is just as heavy. And so I need you to sit for a minute and feel comfortable because Jesus is not just teaching just anybody. He's teaching especially believers that have gathered around. But the gospel, it is like a dragnet. It pulls everybody in. And that's what Jesus is kind of explaining. And so I don't know about you, but if you've ever been fishing or if you've ever seen a dragnet when it comes up, a dragnet's different than a cast net. You throw a cast net out, and it catches a specific thing. A dragnet catches everything and pulls it all up. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some sketchy things in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, it makes you think second about swimming, you know? Um, I have caught more sharks than I want to say right at the beach that I swim at, you know what I mean? And so, and then when, when, when there was red tide and all these snake-like things showed up, I was like, I've been in the water with them. You know, you start thinking, uh, yeah, I might just go about ankle deep now, you know. But when you think about it, there's, there's things that are poisonous. When I was, when I was uh, uh, freshwater fishing all the time, you don't have to worry as much. But saltwater, you don't know if it could sting you, stab you, kill you. And so, you know, you never know. Some of them are scary-looking things. I don't even want to touch some of them. But you got to get them off the, you got to get them off the dock and put them back into the water. And so, so, uh, so sometimes you can't even identify what it is. And so you take a picture of it and you try and Google it or explain it. You know, snake-like creature. You know what I mean? <laughs> With gills. You know. 
And so as Jesus is coming to this, this story, he's talking about something that everyone would be able to identify with. He's talking about a dragnet and how this dragnet pulls up everything. A cast net pulls a specific thing, and sometimes you might catch a couple sketchy things, but a dragnet pulls it all up and drops it there. And so Jesus comes to this place, and, and he says this in this parable. He says, that, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net or a dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Okay? And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that sounds like a pretty scary message, especially if you don't know Jesus, right? Now, now the, the struggle that we have is that our culture has decided to desensitize everything so, mo so much not to offend anyone that now many, including Christians, even some pastors, are now teaching that there's no hell. Well, that's in direct defiance of the teachings of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if you read the book of Galatians, it says if anyone preaches to you another gospel... Even an angel, because what is Satan? Even an angel, let them forever be cursed. Now, Jesus, people that, you know, guys who want your money, they always say Jesus talked more about money than anything else. They're lying. That's not true. Jesus spoke more about the end of the age and heaven and hell, more, more about hell than almost any other topic. And so... Because your soul's on the line here. And Jesus has taught the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. He's taught in Matthew 25. And now we find ourselves in Matthew 13 again. And Jesus is trying to challenge us to help us understand the weight. Just like a dragnet is weighted, the weight of the decisions that you and I make and the choices. You see, because then you and I, at the end, when we do something that we uh, that we want to do, but we get caught. The excuse is, I didn't have a choice. And when we stand before God and you tell him, I didn't have a choice, you're going to understand you had a choice. You made your choice. And God, here's how good God is. He'll honor your choice. You want a godless life? No problem. He'll stay out of your life. You want a godless eternity? No problem. He'll give you one. Well, you'll never fear his presence ever again. That's terrifying, isn't it? But we have to understand what Jesus is trying to say. You see, Jesus interprets the parable for the disciples, and he says this is how it's going to be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, again, he, he compares the wheat and the tares. Both parables are about sorting, and both parables are where Jesus is aided by angels where believers are going to be separated from believers for all time because that's what many people want anyway. 
And so just like the dragnet, when we look at this story, the first thing I want you to fill in is the good news about Jesus spreads around the world, drawing many people to it. Now, the good news of Jesus spreads around the world, and it draws many people to it. And that's awesome. That's what we want. We want that. And so the, 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 the dragnet signifies the large net that draws everything and nothing escapes it. Because the Bible says that until everyone in the world has heard or had a presentation of the gospel, we won't see Jesus. And so you can read that again in the Bible. And so when we understand that, we know it's a far-reaching, no one escapes the good news. However, if it's general revelation, special revelation, then people, some people argue and say, oh, Pastor Mike, what about those people on a desert island? Well, the last time I checked, God showed up in the middle of the desert in the Ur of the Chaldees and revealed himself to a guy named Abraham. And nobody else had ever heard of him before, and God showed up. He also showed up to a guy named Moses... And as a burn in the at the burning bush, he also showed up to a guy named Saul and knocked him off his high horse when Saul said, I don't believe. So many times, just because he doesn't do it the way you think he should do it doesn't mean that he isn't doing it regularly. And so that's why he sent the good news out. So when we see this, the, 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 the gospel is far-reaching and nothing escapes it. It's, it's different than a cast net. Some things can escape a cast net, but the, the gospel, it's right there. It's present for you to hear. It has far-reaching power and it has an effect on people. And the truth of the matter is the gospel gathers every kind of people in every kind of character. It really does. The preaching of the gospel, though, doesn't convert the world. Just because you hear the gospel doesn't mean that you're converted. You have to believe and receive the gospel. And this is why Jesus is teaching to them because many people were following him just for the food. They were following him because they knew he was going to be given free lunch away every, every, every time he got together. And he even told them that. If you don't believe me again, it's in the Bible. He said, you only follow me for the food. And everybody left but the 12. And then he looked at them and said, do you want to leave? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Where can we go? And so, so, so we understand that there's a huge dragnet. It gathers all kinds of fish, some good and some bad. The good news or the gospel draws all kinds. But then there are those who misuse the gospel for financial gain or money, sex, and power. I told you the most dangerous thing you could ever say is you're not susceptible to money, sex, and power. The, 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 the most dangerous thing you could ever say is it could never happen to me. You must always be aware that money, sex, and power are always calling our names on a regular basis. And even the best of men and the best of women find themselves in dangerous circumstances. Never underestimate the power of the enemy, but also the power of God to keep you. But at the same time, be careful that your confidence is not arrogance or you shall fall. And so when we understand this, we see this and we understand that we see people misuse this gospel. You can see people all the time telling you, hey, if you send me this, I'm going to dip this scarf in oil and then you send it to me for $100 and then you put it underneath your or walk on it under your shoe and then look for 100 bucks." You know, it, it's silliness, you know. I got this water from the well. Man, that water, 
that Jerusalem well would be empty by now. You know what I'm saying? My goodness. I'll personally autograph this for you. If it ain't Jesus' autograph, keep it. You know what I mean? I don't need your autograph. Who are you? That ain't going to get me in. Well, I got this Bible autographed by this dude, and Jesus is going to say, I don't even know that dude. Just being real. And this is what Jesus is doing here. And so the good news is attractive to many when they hear it. It's life transforming. But then when they understand it requires complete dedication, it loses its attractiveness. When you understand that, that Jesus calls you to live differently, a holy life, which means simply to be set apart for God's purposes. He didn't call you out of the world. He just called you to not be of the world. And so he calls you to this, and, and he challenges us, and, he, and he, he helps us to understand what it's going to cost. We have to take up our cross. The idea of taking up our cross daily is not attractive because it affects our pride. It affects who we are. It might affect the amount of zeros in our bank account because God says, I want you to do something different. But if we truly believe, it'll transform our lives. That's what the gospel is. It's life transforming. It's life giving. And if your life is not being transformed, then you need to carefully consider who your God is. We should be constantly growing. And Jesus talked about, again, in these parables, fruit bearing. If you're not fruit bearing, there's a problem. And the problem isn't God. So there's only two people in this equation. So I'm going to let you deduce. who, would, And it ain't me, by the way, either. So don't be adding me. It's my pastor. He don't preach good enough. Don't even blame me. I got my own problems. Many of us here shared the gospel and our testimony with family and friends, and, 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 and they, they got excited, and then they fell away. It's the parable of the, 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 the seed that was sown, and we've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in the nine years we've been to church. I've seen it happen. What happens is the gospel may have the effect, but it's not lasting. It's not lasting because you didn't grow roots. That's why people think I always beat, uh, beat people over the head with our Bible studies. But our men's Bible study, we're growing in our faith so we know why we believe what we believe so that when the hard times come, not if the hard times come, when the hard times come, we have a firm foundation to which to build our lives on. They wonder why the women's Bible. So why do we promote these all the time? We study the Word of God for an hour and a half on Wednesday night. You don't get no barbecue. There ain't no big screen TV. Ain't no, there ain't nothing. Just us, the Bible, and a study guide. And we have more fun. That sounds like a really bad commercial, doesn't it? They're like, ooh, that sounds exciting. Sign me up, Pastor. An hour and a half, boring. But it is not boring by any, by any stretch of the imagination when you're digging in. It's exciting. Other guys have come and seen that and just said, wow, how in the world do you do? I said, it's not me. It's the Word of God. It, when the Word of God is really at work, I just get out of the God's way. 
I said, the only way to mess it up is start trying to add barbecue and trying to add a big screen TV and trying to do a false attraction. Jesus is more attractive than anything to those who want him. And so now we come back to this dragnet again. And just like a dragnet, the the good news attracts all kinds uh, of people. It attracts all kinds of people, even people who neither repent nor desire to follow Jesus. That's the truth. There are people who like church. They like church because church is full of many good people. Not not all good people, thank God, because I didn't come here to preach to a bunch of good people. I came to preach to a bunch of people who need Jesus. And if we care and if we're doing our job, we should be bringing our family and friends so they hear the good news and find out how God takes people and transforms them into good people and how we're not perfect, but we're being so don't judge us. So the good news attracts even these. So, so Jesus said it, it gathers all kinds of fish, regardless of their value or regardless of how much they value themselves, because many people are stuck in their life because they don't value themselves anymore. And they're giving themselves to any God that will have them. True or False. And so, so we think about this, and, and we understand many people love the idea of religion. Why do you think Jesus had to fight with the Pharisees so much? They loved religion because it made them better than you. Why do you think some people love church? Because they think it makes them better than you, but it doesn't. But that's why many religious people are that way. Religious people are some of the hardest people to deal with, and if you don't believe me, you should read again. This amazing bestseller, best-selling author, God. You should pick this up, the best-selling book in the world, and read it and find out who God is. Not many people see their need for God. Some people just say, I'm good. I'm not hurting anyone. I don't need God. Or here's my favorite one. Hey, listen, God understands. He understands I need this or that. The truth of the matter is, no, he doesn't. And you say, prove it. The cross proves it. Why would his son go through such incredible, incredible, the word excruciating means from the cross. They created a word for pain that Jesus experienced that we all use now as excruciating from the cross, from the crucifixion to explain the worst kind of pain you could ever have. And you tell me God understands? Come on, man. And this is, again, this is Jesus teaching us. Why is he teaching us? And I know it seems a little heavy, but I just need you to understand. Jesus is teaching this because we need this kind of message. He's getting ready to go away. And he knows this message is going to cost the disciples their very lives. Eleven of those guys, well, actually ten of them, it's going to cost them their lives. They're going to be martyred. Some are going to be speared. Some are going to be boiled in oil. Some are going to be beheaded for the gospel. Why would they die for a lie? Why would they die for a lie? They wouldn't. Jesus compares the work of the gospel to the way men sort fish. You see, the professing church today is full of true believers and false believers. 
It's full of the good and the bad. At the end of the age, that's God's job to say, listen, I'm not here to separate that. That's between you and God. Only God knows where you are with him. Now, some people, they, they can trick you and fool you and all that, but you ain't fooling me. You ain't fooling. The only person you got to worry about is fooling God. All of us, all of us in this room understand your place in God. Every single one of us knows where you're at with God. Now, we may not want our neighbor to know because they may look down on us, and that's what religion does. Religion makes us push a persona of, 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 of perfection, which can't happen. And so we see the gospel captures everyone, and then it set, separates everybody. Do you know how? By their response. That's how the gospel separates everyone, by the response. You hear the good news about Jesus, and you can believe and receive and become a child of God, or you can choose to reject it and say, God, I don't want you in my life. You have those options. Those who choose to believe live like they believe and live like they've been sorted for the kingdom of heaven. So if you really want to know, then look at your life and ask yourself, what am I doing to honor God? Am I honoring God in my relationships? Am I honoring God in my marriage, in my parenting? Am I honoring God at my job? Am I honoring God in my school, my neighborhood, my workplace? Because the Bible tells me I'm supposed to work as if it's unto God. Then you'll know where you stand. You see, those who choose to continue swimming in the same direction after the gospel has arrested them are going to be separated forever because that's their choice. It's a decision. So you won't be able to say, I didn't have a choice. And finally, we come to this place where the fish uh, were sorted so false believers masquerading as true believers will not uh, be known until Christ's return. And you and I have to understand the fish were sorted so false believers masquerading as true believers will not be known until Christ's return. So until the sorting happens, you're not going to know. So we quit, we give up because there's, a, a, there's some false folks, some fake folks. That's just in, there's fake folks in every aspect of life. You got people who will, at your job, that will smile at you and hope that you get fired so you get the promo, so they get the promotion. You know what I'm saying? You got friends that you think you're friends, and then you use the word no, and all of a sudden they're telling all your secrets to anybody who will listen? Come on now. You know it's true. There's fake people everywhere, and you go tell me there ain't no fake people in church. Come on now. I'll sell you some oceanfront property in Arizona. Some people are going, ooh, can I get in on that deal? Just as the fish couldn't be sorted until the nets pulled up, the same way, the same way false believers masquerading as true Christians won't be made known until the end of the age. And the truth is some of them don't even, they even think they can pull the wool over God's eyes when they're standing before him. If you don't believe me, read Matthew 25 where he says, he says, they say, but didn't we do this in your name and didn't we do that in your name? And he says, listen, I never knew you. 
So you did all those things and you got all your rewards right here. But I don't know you. And then the other people who did it, they look to God and who did all those things in the name of Jesus. And they go, Lord, when did we do that? Because, see, they're just following his example. They're just following Christ's example. They're just following the example of Jesus. And they say, when did we do that? He said, you, you know, when you fed that homeless person that nobody even looked at, that no one would, when they, when they wouldn't even lift their eyes, and you, you reached in your pocket and you saw them and you, you greeted them and you spoke to them, that's when you did it. You know that thirsty person that needed that water that nobody else, that, 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 that everybody else passed over and thought they were not worth anything, and then you saw something in them, that's when you did it. You know that sick person when you were in the hospital and you were visiting your loved one and you went past and you saw that other person and you walked in and said hey can I pray for you today and then they let you pray for them that's what you did he said what you did to the least of these you've done for me it's all about living and who you did it for did you do it for him or for you The fishermen, they pull the nets to the shore and then they sort the fish. And Jesus says there's going to be an angelic separation. And you can read that in, in there and then you can go to Revelation and read that. The separation will occur when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. The false believers be likened to the, 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 the fish that were tossed away or the rocky soil or the thorny soil or the tares and all these other stories. They claim to have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't. The sobering main point of the parable is stated. The day of reckoning will come in which God will separate true believers from mere pretenders. And those found to be false will be cast into the fiery furnace. Now this is a tough message. But now that you've heard it, you're accountable to it. You're accountable to this. But you can never stand before God and say you never heard it. And it's tough to hear. But that's not God's choice. See, God is a God of justice. Sin had a price that had to be paid. And Jesus paid that price. And so many of us talk about God being just. And we want justice, but we don't want justice in our life. We want justice upon other people. You want God, and, and then when God, and, and then other people stand in judgment of God and say, why doesn't God do anything? And then God does. He opens the earth and swallows 29,000 people. Read it. It's in the book. We're all like, see how mean God is? Do we not? God can't win for losing. Think about it. All this time we say, God, when are you going to take these evildoers and when are you going to blah, 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 blah. And then you see it opens up or snakes start biting them. Well, oh, well, how mean is God? How awful is God? And then, and then when he doesn't do anything, look, he doesn't do anything. And not even take into account our own situation and our own life. Understanding that, that God is just and hell is is a penalty that we choose. The cross gives us options, but you get to make your, your bed. You get to choose. You get that opportunity. 
The words of Jesus in this earthly story carry a spiritual truth. And what concerns me is, man, it seems like every week I'm teaching a parable where the main theme of the parable is true believers and false believers. I mean, I don't know. You can go and listen to the messages on the app, but I'm here and and I'm not pulling these as just what the parables are. So what is Jesus trying to say? And people say, I wish that man would preach something about God wants you to be happy. Right? I wish somebody would preach how God wants me to be rich. I wish that man would preach anything that makes me just feel good about me. But I'm not here to do that. I'm here to preach a message to shake your soul and wake your heart. I'm here to challenge you to open your eyes to the good news of the gospel and to challenge yourself. This is Jesus talking. What concerns me deeply is that Jesus kept this main theme and he keeps putting it there and it's relationship versus religion. That's what he keeps pushing to, relationship versus religion. He keeps going on and on, and he keeps pointing back to you and me examining our lives. And how are we to examine our lives? By the Word of God, by our actions and our deeds. And so we look at this. I truly don't believe, now listen to me and hear me. I truly don't believe that Jesus taught these these parables to create uncertainty in us. I really don't believe that, not at all. I absolutely do not. I believe that he taught these parables so we would constantly take a spiritual inventory of our lives and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to perfect us daily. I really do believe that he did it for our benefit. I really don't think he wants any of us, any of us in this room to be uncertain about our relationship with him. I think he wants us to make us more certain of our relationship, knowing that we're not perfect, we're being And that's a lifelong journey. God didn't call us to one repentance. He called us to a lifetime of repentance and growth. And anybody knows if you're growing, then you're failing. Because you and I know there's going to be times that we fail and we have to fail forward. The difference is, is we fail and we run back to whatever it is or wherever it was that God saved us. And so I want us to understand that I believe God, Jesus taught these parables to check the motives of our hearts. And the truth is only you and God know your status. If you think that I'm going to point at you or tell you or if you even feel like I've been that, what I have not singled one person out in this room. Now you've singled you out and the Holy Spirit singled you out, but not me. So ask yourself, Why am I feeling? Only you know if you're that true believer. And maybe you'll be able to fool everyone, but you won't be able to fool God on Judgment Day. Jesus came. He lived. He suffered. And He died so you can be certain. We we can't struggle the rest of our lives wondering. We have to know. The rest of our life reveals the true status of our faith. What you do today, I don't care about what you did 20 minutes ago. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you did last night. It's right now. The status of your life and your faith can be determined right here, right now. The evidence will be seen is if you love God and love other people. 
The evidence will be seen in the way you live here and in the way you live now. If Jesus thought it was important enough to teach a crowd full of every kind of person, I believe that we should carefully examine our lives as well. You never know. You never know that moment. Now, I have a couple of minutes left, and I want to... uh, Spend a minute. I'm going to share something personal with you. I've shared it with just a few folks because you never know when your life it's over. And last Monday night, I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning and I thought I was having a heart attack. And I got up, pain was radiating all the way around up my up my neck, down my arm, and I I got up. And I thought I'll just shake it off because that's what I do. You know, don't need to go to the doctor. I'm strong. And uh, I tried to lay back down. Every time I lay back down, it felt like someone stabbed me. And so I tried to lay on my side. I, couldn't, I literally felt like jolts every time I tried to lay down. I thought, man, there's something wrong. So I waited 45 minutes, which my wife is not happy about. And I, I finally woke her up and I said, I said uh, honey, I think there might be something wrong. Now, mind you, I've shared in the past I've suffered with panic and anxiety. I felt zero panic or zero anxiety. Before I woke her up, I was standing in my living room, and my dad died a few months before he turned 50, and I turned 50 in June. I turned 50 years old in June. And my dad died literally a few months before his 50th birthday. And I remember standing there in my living room going, so this is how it goes down. This is how it ends. And I was like, all right, God, if this is it, this is it. I'm cool. I feel good. I've had a good run. I love you. I don't want to leave my family. But if this is it, it's it. And, uh, and I walked there for that 45 minutes and then finally went in and woke up Lorena. And then, and then she had, it took an hour to convince me to go to the emergency room. I kept saying, just let me try one more time, <clears throat> you know. So then we went down to the emergency room, and of course, you tell them you're having chest pain, and they start doing all these tests, and they're running all these tests, and praise God, uh, you know, the, the blood test came back that, my, as he said, there was zero attack on your heart, and then the EKG came back, and it was, uh, it was normal, and then, um, then they took me in for a CAT scan, and when they took me in for the CAT scan, they came back and said, everything's okay, but you have uh, clusters of blood clots in both your lungs. So in, the, in both of your lungs, um, there are clusters of blood clots, and uh, we have to deal with those. Um, and so they said, we're going to have to do this and that. They said, of course, it's dangerous, but, you know, we're, we're, we feel like you're going to be all right. I said, well, thanks, you know. You feel like we're going to be okay. Well, as long as you feel like it, you know. And... Uh, but uh, it was very, very humbling, you know, and my lung, every time I breathed, it hurt, and uh, I'm getting better every day, you know, starting to get better, better, better. Um, but you just never know what your day is. You know what I'm saying? You never know. And I remember standing there on Tuesday, on Monday night and Tuesday morning and thinking, I'm okay. I'm all right. 
And I didn't want to go. I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave you guys. I want to pastor you and lead you. And I was worried about ruining people's weddings. I had already told Lorena. I literally told Lorena, I can't go to the hospital because if they do heart surgery, I can't. I got two weddings on Saturday. And I told her, she's testing in school, and I was like, honey, tomorrow's a big day for you. And she's like, I said, I was just going to wait for you to scurry off to work, then I was going to go. And she goes, and then you would need a hospital, (laughs) right? And so this past week, I've just, you know, it's it's been humbling, even in worship this morning. I wanted to sing as well as I could, but my lungs just wouldn't let me sing this way this morning. And I would sing and then cough, and I knew I had to preach, and I thought, Man, how many times have I sat in church and taken for granted the opportunity to make melody with my voice for Jesus? And I thought this morning, as much as I want to, I can't because I got to do your thing. And uh, but then I thought, hey, it could be worse, you know, or it could be better, whichever. I could be in the hospital recovering from, but the good news is my heart came back and they, the CAT scan and they said my heart is strong, blood's going everywhere it's supposed to go, so praise God, so deal with these blood clots, I got to take it a little easy, I got to go easy, so, um, so uh, you know, I'm going to make sure in between service I step out and, and go and sit down for a few minutes, so uh, um, my wife's going to close us in prayer uh, today, which is what she, uh, she wanted uh, to make sure that I wasn't going to be overtaxed um, and, uh, but I, I said all that to say, it's not because I'm a pastor that I felt okay. No, I had nothing to do with that. It's because Jesus is my savior. And it's because if he was finished with me, yeah, I had such a peace. There was no fear that I was going to stand before him one day and he was going to say, I never knew you. No fear at all. You can, that's what I'm trying to say about this certainty today. And it's, God is no respecter of persons. I love Jesus because Jesus loves me. And that's the truth, not because I'm a pastor or anything else. And I want to give you the same opportunity to have that same confidence that no matter what happens, if it ends up this is the day, then you just say, it's cool. I get to go be with Jesus. The only thing that held me back was not leaving my family. And not leaving you. And I know God's not done with me on this mission. So I want to invite you to that same kind of opportunity. If you want that kind of faith, then all it requires is us to live that kind of faith daily. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today. And God, I just pray for each and every person here. I thank you that you give us life and you give us hope. And I thank you that you give us the the future. And God, we get to choose our future. And so I pray today that we'll choose wisely. If you're here today and you say, man, Pastor Mike, I want that kind of confidence. I want the kind of confidence that reminds us that Jesus is my everything. And if my time on earth is through, then I know when I stand before God that I'll be able to say, I know Jesus, and I lived for Jesus, and I died for Jesus, and now I'm with Jesus, and death is defeated. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up high in the air? Anybody in the house that says that? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You guys may place your hands down. We're just going to say this, this simple prayer between us and God. It's just from your heart to God. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus, I receive you. I know that I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm being perfected. 
and I give you my life. I give you everything I am, and I give you everything I'm not, and I trust you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. And the church of Jesus Christ said, amen. If you said that prayer, we want to welcome you into the house of God. My wife is going to come up. You know we have a tradition here.